Hi, everybody. Welcome to the March 27, 2015 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on Representative Gordon Klingenschmidt outraging Democrats and Republicans alike with his comments about the attack on the pregnant Longmont woman on his radio show this week. Patty Cahoon from Westward. Uh, I guess when we knew that Gordon Klingenschmidt was elected, we knew something was going to happen where Republicans would be running away from his message. We just didn't know when. I guess this is our win. What do you think? Well, and it's not like he hasn't given them ample opportunity before with what he said about Obama, but this one where basically it's because we are no longer God-fearing, we're not following the Bible, that every, we're all going to be running around cutting babies out of utero just doesn't seem like a likely scenario. The fact that he, we knew he would be the gift that keeps on giving at this table, and even though Republicans are running away, he's still in office. We're going to have him to kick around for a while. David Kopel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Is the running away from Klingenschmidt effective enough where uh, the damage will be mitigated, or is this going to start to stick to some part of the Colorado GOP? Well, obviously, the, the, the troll faction on the other side will, will do their best to make it stick. Klingenschmidt has the, the same problem as Jeremiah Wright, which is he made the point, which he quoted from the book of Hosea, and it's throughout the Bible, that when a nation turns away from God in extreme ways, uh, it leads to calamity for the nation, including things that lead to the deaths and suffering of innocent women and children. That's what Jeremiah Wright was saying when he said, God damn America, that 9-11, even though, of course, there were lots of innocent people killed in that, was, on a national sense, uh, God's punishment for uh, what Reverend Wright viewed as America's uh, wrong ideas. The problem for Klingenschmidt is that if you're a reverend, you know, you're supposed to just speak the truth as, as you see it, and you do that. But if you're an elected official, that's not necessarily popular. Reverend Wright wouldn't have probably gotten reelected on the goddamn America platform, and that's the, the difficulty for the, for the party and for Klingenschmidt himself, is that the public doesn't want to be told uh, what the ministers, Wright or Klingenschmidt, see as the hard truths that they need to hear uh, from their elected officials. And Seeler from the Denver Business Journal, you're a guy at the Capitol. Uh, what was the reaction with uh, underneath the Golden Dome? Well, the interesting thing is a lot of people had talked about how they expected Klingenschmidt to come in and basically be the next Doug Bruce. Every time he opened his mouth, his foot would be inserted. And the truth is that hadn't been the case so far this year. Klingenschmidt had come across as a, a very polite person. Um, he at times had, had led some of the arguments on some committees in, in very cogent ways against Republican-opposed uh, bills. And and then all of a sudden this bursts out like this. So I think there was this feeling like this was bound to happen, but there was also a bit of a feeling like, hey, maybe this guy isn't as explosive as people made him sound. Now let's remember this is the same district that Doug Bruce came from, and this is the same district that booted him out of office after one year in a primary. I expect we're going to see a list of primary challengers growing very quickly to Mr. Klingenschmidt. Susan Green, editor at ColoradoIndependent.com. Uh, are Republicans, whether it be in El Paso County or otherwise in the state, going to pay for what Klingenschmidt is saying publicly? Um, that's a good question. In some ways, he's a caricature of himself. And uh, so I would have said um, yes earlier, but it, it, he, they've been distancing him, themselves so much from him at, and... The guy has almost like a Tourette syndrome problem. I mean, he he um, did go for several months without saying anything 
super bombastic, and I think he's very um, amicable, and in some ways people were surprised at the Capitol about he, how easy he is to work with. But you go on these radio shows, and you've got to say something, right? And so or at least he feels like he's got to say something. And so, so it, he went from kind of Klingenschmidt, Dr. Chaps, the caricature, to, hey, this guy's actually, you know, workable, to Dr. Chaps again. I think he'll stay that way for a while. <laughs> Boulder County authorities announced on Friday that murder charges will not be filed against Dinell Lane for the attack on a Longmont woman because autopsy reports showed the fetus did not survive outside of the womb. Patty, this has been a uh, difficult topic. We, we knew a little bit last week, and even as we talked this week, as we taped this on Friday at noon, some of the details, the charges from Boulder County uh, and the autopsy report have not yet been released. So from what we know right now, what do you expect to be the ramifications uh, that is coming from this evolving case? Well, certainly this is the story that everyone is talking about, including Klingenschmidt, although you, most of them are speaking a little more coherently about it. I think given what now we know about the autopsies so far, we will find that the baby was not alive outside the womb because other and the Garnett has done Stan Garnett the DA has done the only charge you can really do under state statute that that she could not be charged with murder she's clearly one very disturbed woman but I will tell you there are other disturbed people out there now because there are already people out there who are deniers who say this whole story is a hoax that it didn't happen and that we're making it up well wow. uh, David I mean Patty brings up I think some of uh, probably a variety of examples of people who are going to take the story and run with it in, in whatever capacity. There's going to be political sides of things. There's going to be societal sides of things. But um, it certainly doesn't end here. What do you think is going to be the next uh, policy side that we're going to see come out of the case? Well, I think most people would say that what the person who's going to be charged did assuming that the facts as reported in the media are correct, is a homicide and ought to be prosecuted in the same way as the homicide of a three-month-old baby or a three-year-old or a 33-year-old. And state law doesn't currently allow that, so state law ought to be changed. There have been efforts to make those changes in the past. They have been successfully thwarted uh, by uh, the pro-choice lobby, worried that that, that would uh, endanger abortion. But however that gets sorted out, I think we've got to get to the point where the act that happened is a homicide and can be prosecuted the same as any other intentional killing of a human being. Ed, what's been the reaction on Capitol Hill? Do you think there's somebody who wants to carry the water on a bill that would be that seemingly razor-thin line between uh, what this act was, which was clearly not abortion, and abortion rights, which that there's just such a razor-thin line there. Is there somebody at the Capitol that wants to make this a reality, change Colorado law? Is there somebody at the Capitol that wants to do something nuanced and for the better of society? Good luck on that one. No, I mean, that's obviously that's cynical, but I mean, it's cynical because of the way this debate has evolved in the last couple of years, and that they have, both Republicans and Democrats have gone at this in different ways and not been able to find any favor on other side because this stopped being debate about protecting human life, which is what 
clearly the state law is not doing right now, and it started being more of debate about abortion politics. I mean, I mean, here's the thing that's that's nuts. Looking at this, if and I'm going to give Stan Garnett the benefit of the doubt because a, I'm not an attorney, and b, I assume that he knows how to interpret the law. But if he's interpreting the law right, that says this fetus has to live outside the womb in order to be considered a human and have murder charges brought against it, then let's consider this scenario. Someone could walk up to a pregnant woman with a gun, shoot her directly into her unborn baby, and that would not be considered murder because that kid's not making it out of the womb. However, it's clearly an act of intentional assault and homicide on a, a living being. So, I mean, that's going to be the tough part. How do you draw that line there? How do you walk down without the, the, the too many factions who are just going to spout about this in 30-second political sound bites. Clearly, something can be done, something should be done, and frankly, if there can be someone who arises to do this, they're going to deserve bipartisan respect for this. Susan, do you think that person exists? Will this effort come, whether it's from Capitol Hill or from somebody else, an organization, somebody that wants to walk that thin line uh, that obviously, as Ed talked about, is wrought with difficulties on either side of the, of the aisle. Uh, I'm sure people will make a whole lot of hay about it. The fact that this incident is a sort of, um, you know, segue into a conversation about personhood is sort of ridiculous. And you want to talk about cynical, that's really cynical. I mean, this woman was attacked, you know. People kind of forget the mother was really assaulted in a way that, um, you know those urban myths about you're traveling in some unknown city and someone comes into your hotel room and steals your kidneys kind of thing? I mean, that's, it has that element to it. And, you know, there are plenty of charges to use against this woman, Lane, if in fact she is guilty of what they say she's guilty of. And I also have to say Stan Garnett and his comments was fairly cryptic. I think we just don't know enough about this case to surmise. but. It's way too early to be going down this kind of personhood thing. We just don't know enough. It's like people will use any excuse to discuss personhood, and I don't think this is the time. Uh, clearly, something we'll be talking about for quite a while. Now, let's get to uh, the story about a 22-year-old from Oklahoma uh, who was on a ski vacation in Keystone who shot himself last weekend after reportedly ingesting five times the recommended dose uh, of uh, marijuana edibles. Toxicology reports are not yet available, but family members blame the suicide on the edibles. If found to be a contributing factor, this would be the third death blamed on uh, marijuana edibles since the passage of MN64. David, this is another case where there's still a lot of details to be had, and clearly the only people that have come out saying that the edibles were the cause was a family. And obviously in a, in a tragedy like this, I think a family can be, um, uh, can, really has the right to say whatever they like. We haven't seen any activists or authorities come out with this. Do you think that will soon follow the, this event? Of course. Consumption of extreme levels of marijuana, like consumption of extreme levels of alcohol, can lead to psychosis. Usually we say if you chose to drink a fifth of a bottle of tequila, that certainly did probably disorder your mental functioning, but you're still ultimately responsible for what you did after you chose to go to that extreme level of intoxication. What we know in a broader sense is something from 
uh, a study that was in the December 2014 issue of the American Journal of Public Health, a uh, study done by, among other people, Daniel Reese, who's a professor at the University of Colorado at Denver, which looked at the effect of medical marijuana state laws on suicides in a 50-state study covering 17 years' worth of data. And they found that really no significant effects broadly, but on two narrow population groups. Males 20 to 29, it resulted in an 11.9 reduction in the suicide rate, and our males 30 to 39, a 9.4% reduction in the suicide rate. And of course, as with all social science, you, 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 know, you can never be certain, and you can argue, always argue pro and con. One of the reasons they uh, hypothesized for this is that it led to decreased alcohol consumption among that group, and it might also be a form of, of self-medication for whatever other issues these, these people had going on. So on the whole, it appears that the movement towards re-legalization of marijuana may be something that produces a significant, very beneficial reduction in suicide. And I don't want to just treat you like you're our spy at the Capitol, but when this story came out, or even before this story, are there lawmakers that want to increase regulation of edibles, or is this something that's going to have to come from activists pushing that, pushing that part of the argument? It, it's hard to say. I mean, because there's not there's a limited amount that lawmakers can do right now. I mean, we have a constitutional right to ingest marijuana. Uh, thank you very much, Amendment 64. I think that was. Um, and and so you, you can't go in and 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 it would be very hard to write a constitutional bill uh, banning edibles. But um, it's. I think you're going to see probably more of the activity coming from outside the Capitol, frankly. I mean, I think this fires up the uh, let's let's pull back Amendment 64 movement a little bit. I, I didn't hear a lot of people saying, okay, this case is a reason that we need to relook at the laws right now. I think we've, we've been through this a couple of times. People have seen there have been a couple of cases uh, that have been very highlighted about this. Um, I think most people are still taking the long-term effect, though. I mean, yeah, we, we've had a couple of people who have who have killed themselves or killed others because of this. Um, but are these anomalies, are these things that we need to legislate uh, specifically because of these cases? I don't see that huge push coming inside the dome yet. Susan, what about you? Do you think there's a public policy push in this one, or is it strictly going to be fodder for the activists? Um, the anti the anti pot activists. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, three suicides or three deaths in more than a year uh, is statistically a drop in the bucket and I don't mean to um, in any way downplay the uh, what happened here to this this young man from Oklahoma but one out of seven deaths in Colorado are related to alcohol not not pot and nobody's calling for prohibition of alcohol in Colorado um, there's another issue, which is, you know, suicide largely is related to depression, right? And I'd love to see a conversation, a statewide policy conversation about depression and what we're doing about it in our society, because the numbers are astronomical, um, rather than this. Um, and another thing is, this was a family vacation. I mean, you know, we. It's kind of like the case up in Longmont. We just, we don't know what was going on with this young man and to, obviously he took way too much pot and people need to understand, they need to know what they're eating with these candies which are really 
quite tempting and yummy in some ways. But um, th this whole story in this young man's life and suicide cannot be boiled down to one one essence of you know the THC that was in in that candy. They can't. Patty, does this uh, event move along uh, the energy behind uh, anti-pot activism? For a while it's going to. I mean, you saw just how the mainstream media really grabbed onto it because it was a fun headline for them. You know, pot uh, makes kid kill himself. There's so many other questions. For example, I don't know that many people who bring their handgun when they're going skiing unless he was trying out for, what's that Olympic event where you ski uh, and you shoot? Biathlon. Thank you. They need a so, rifle. I, I know you need a rifle. I just didn't know the name of it. But I'm just saying, okay, maybe he was doing his own little version and shooting his handgun. Why you need it for protection in the deep, dark corners of Summit County, why you take it on your vacation, clearly there's a lot more at, at play here. We don't hear anyone talking about banning vacations, banning skiing, banning guns, um, and we'll find out more. You wish you would hear a lot more about suicide than you heard in this case about pot being the culprit. Exactly. I think I would agree with you. And, and Susan, the converse, deeper conversation about depression and, and mental health certainly needs to take place. A report released this week shows 50% of the oil rigs in Colorado that were active last October are now idle. Colorado joins North Dakota and Oklahoma, who are also seeing major drops in production due to the low price of oil. Uh, uh, and this is pretty common sense when it comes to supply and demand. If, you're, if, if the, uh, the price is low, you don't put out enough, uh, much uh, production. However, at what point are we going to see it go from the, affecting the oil fields in Colorado to affecting the oil companies to affecting our economies and towns? I mean, Colorado is used to a boom and bust when it comes to energy, and we're more insulated nowadays. But there's going to be ramifications at some point. Are we beginning to feel them? Uh, it's a, you're going in the exact right direction this conversation should be going in, but uh, we're not seeing the sky falling in, same, in the same way. This report and others that have come out from oil companies that are talking about cutting back production uh, have noted the 50% drop in rigs, but we're looking at more of a 15 to 20% uh, cutback in most cases in jobs and in spending by these companies. I mean, because just because you are idling rigs doesn't mean that you are sending everyone home who used to work on those rigs. You want to be able to go back to those if we see some spike in the, in the oil prices pretty quickly. And not only that, you've got other things that people can do rather than just working out on those rigs right now. So, uh, so I don't think we're going to see tremors in the economy just yet. I mean, obviously, this is, this is going to bring down uh, the spending by some of these companies that are, that are heavy capital spenders here in town and that own a significant amount of downtown Denver office space. That's another big thing, that if that were to happen, then that affects the whole downtown retail, restaurant economy, even, even the hotels as well. Um, that, that, that's just not quite happening yet, though. And there will be, from what I've seen, uh, from multiple reports, there will be some uptick in the economy because people are spending less on gas. So, um, so I think this is worth watching, but it's not worth panicking about. Susan, do you think this is how uh, most Coloradans take a look at this? They're not panicking yet. They're enjoying the, the low gas prices. And do we have anything to worry about yet? Well, they're enjoying the low gas prices at the pump themselves, and they're going to enjoy the low gas prices when people flock here um, because it's so cheap to take a road trip to Colorado because gas is so cheap this summer. So the economists have said there's a mitigating impact here, which is a boost in tourism. I think one question about this, this little slump or the drop in oil prices, and I shouldn't call it a slump because I love paying half price for my gas lately, is that... 
it, it, it reminds us that yes, in fact, we do have a boom and bust, and we know that better than most states. Um, that's what we know from our history, and that raises some questions about our public policies. We have um, this very strong lobby and um, sentiment in Colorado not to regulate fracking. We have water problems in Colorado. Those are things that are exacerbated, obviously, by an increase in, in energy production or oil production. So I think people need to remember these busts when they're talking about those policy issues, especially regulation of fracking, because it's always painted as if there's a constant boom, and there's not. Our history tells us so. Patty, do you think a uh, if it's not a bust, or at least the, the depression, the oil economy is going to affect the fracking argument this year? Well, it gives us a little more time to speak up, talk about it in a less heated environment. People are not going to be out working every single rig, trying to get every possible drop up from the ground. So it does give us a little bit of a timeout, but I don't, we're nowhere near looking at the kind of bust, those of us who are here in 83, 84, and you would look through empty skyscrapers downtown when, you know, whole floors of Republic Tower were completely closed off. We've got a, a less than a 10% vacancy rate for offices downtown, so a little cooling off period wouldn't be really horrible. Everyone's enjoying not paying as much at the pump. Maybe we can really have the kind of discussion we've talked about around this table so many times where we look at the real science of fracking. David, wrap it up for us. It was only 2008 when the professional hysterics were telling us that we were about to hit peak oil. And now we've got so much oil uh, that the oil companies are practically having trouble giving it away. The idea that the country and the world is going to run out of oil has been going around since the early 1920s. They're proven wrong every time. We will never run out of energy as long as we do two sensible things. One, no price controls. Two, no inappropriate restrictions on the production of energy. Let's get a quick take on this one. One of the key executives in charge of the building of the VA hospital in Aurora resigned this week after calls for his firing from many congressional officials. Representative Mike Kaufman is drafting a bill that would deny any bonuses to VA officials involved in the hospital until after it is completed. Susan, what's your quick take uh, response to uh, the resignation of the uh, director of the construction? Amen. Long overdue. And how this man, how you go from a uh, cost or contracts of, I think it's $328 million for this medical center to $1.7 billion. I, I, how there's nothing criminal in that, I mean, that takes work. And I think that's the big question. I mean, Mike Hoffman has been all over this no bonuses issue, but I think people need answers. How did it jump f five times um, as expensive and really it's not even close to it's not even close to completion. It's kind of just stuck. So um, what's his name? Glenn, help Hagstrom. me. Hagstrom, yes. Yeah, I think he should stay really far from Colorado and from our veterans for a long time because that man's name, although I can't remember it, will live in infamy. Patty, is Hagstrom's head just the first of many that you think will fall? Well, he's not the first because we also we had the sure. regional person already retire conveniently like he did. We need to know what happened here. It's outrageous for taxpayers. But we also need to make sure that this greatest generation that needs this care has care, the care they deserve. These guys won the war. They built bridges that get the Army Corps of Engineers in there and let them build the hospital. They could certainly do a better job.
David, what do you think? Maybe a administration which can't even build a hospital shouldn't take over the entire rest of the U.S. healthcare system first before they learn how to do their core job of, of helping with the veterans. The hospital's not going to be around for a while. Until that hospital is completed, vets in Colorado ought to be given vouchers so they can go to the hospital of their choice rather than being shunted into a dysfunctional system. And finish up for us. Hagstroms certainly seem to be a problem from what I've read, but there are more underlying problems here. The fact that the designers and the builders of this hospital couldn't talk about things, the federal government really needs to look at getting rid of some of the levels of bureaucracy and regulation that have caused these problems uh, in addition to inefficient and ineffective bureaucrats. Let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. Patty, as always, start us off. Return to Boulder County, suddenly home of all the crazy crimes, including a 12-year-old who tried to kill her mother for taking away her iPhone. An iPhone is a privilege, not a right. <laughs> David. We used to have leaders like Winston Churchill and uh, Franklin Roosevelt, who, when they had personality conflicts with others, like Charles de Gaulle of France, who they all couldn't stand because he was an egomaniacal jerk, they could separate their personality clashes from other things. And unlike the current administration, which because Obama and Netanyahu don't get along, the Obama administration is now leaking, publishing Israel's military secrets and putting that country on the front line of imminent nuclear genocide. Ed. There will be a lot of tributes that are coming out to Harry Reid's retirement, but let's not forget, this guy has been one of the main obstructionist problems why both Republicans and Democrats can't get anything done in the U.S. Senate. And it was, in fact, Reid's leadership that almost doomed Obamacare for all the people that love the liberal end of these things uh, by refusing to make the compromises that could have put the bill through a lot more quickly before Ted Kennedy died. So I just want to get out early and say, hey, everyone's going to be saying, oh, Harry Reid was so great. I think both he and some other current leaders of the Senate need to move on a lot more quickly. Susan. Speaking of getting things done in the Senate, uh, Senator Cory Gardner for promising that Republicans will have a solid uh, alternative to Obamacare if King versus Burwell goes down, the court case goes down in court. I had a friend this morning liken it to promising uh, people that the great pumpkin will come. Well, uh, the great pumpkin has to come quickly, and so do we when it comes to say something nice. So say something nice very quickly. Joyce Meskus of the Tattered Cover, who announced she has a deal that will keep the Tattered Cover, the four stores, going when she retires in two years. David. I was going to do the same one. What, what a great Denver person for founding such an outstanding institution. Ed. Patty Calhoun for putting out the most read <laughs> newspaper of the year, another excellent edition of Best of Denver this year from Westward. Here, here. Uh, Nancy Lawholm, former uh, reporter at the Denver Post, who's in Grand Junction. She's the diva of all things journalistic on the West Slope, is now writing for the Colorado Independent. Very nice. That's all the time we have tonight, so thanks for tuning in. Remember that if you missed any part of the show or want to check out our web-exclusive segment, CIO Postgame, check out CPT12.org or YouTube. I also send out our takes via Twitter, so please feel free to follow me there. And you can also listen to our show as a podcast on iTunes, so be sure to check it out. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks very much for watching. Good night.